then what stops a student to go at go into a MOOC, do it at the do it at a much cheaper price from the convenience of their homes and probably do two or three more courses alongside while and get more out of it than go to the go to a university. Hi there and thank you for joining Change I Am Possible, India's first future tech podcast. Do kindly subscribe, support and share. Today I have with us Shekhar Sanyal. He is the country head and director of the Institution of Engineering and Technology India. Under his leadership, IET India has grown from 800 to 13,000 plus members. Their vision is to become the most relevant and preferred institution for engineering and technology professionals in India. So we spoke about the impact of COVID-19 on technology and uh, engineering professionals plus the larger population. So I wish you enjoyed this conversation. Tell me, do you see the engineering and tech professional or the community being impacted by COVID-19 or do you see them benefited by COVID-19? Because if you see, technology is the only sector which is like really growing exponentially, right? And at this point in time, currently, I mean, people are using uh, for the testing, tracking plus the treatment, they're using a whole lot of uh, technology. So do you see the the tech and the engineering professionals is being impacted or benefit, benefited by COVID-19? Yeah, I mean, Eddie, one of the things that we have to realize what COVID-19 has brought to fore is that uh, we technology is what is keeping everything afloat at this point of time. Whether uh, people working from home, it's the world's largest experiment of working from home which is happening. Till now, nobody thought this would be possible. Now, suddenly, it has been proven that technology is available and it's possible. And whether it's the way we are managing the healthcare system, uh, everything is based on technology. And if we have to go forward in this new normal or this new world, which COVID-19 has created for us, technology is going to play a key role in how this works and goes forward. So to me, uh, technology will be uh, beneficial. People who are working in technology, not just engineers, but people who work in technology and implementing technology will be benefiting from provided understand that it's in the world and the technology has to adapt to that new world. So that's the key, uh, how you apply the technology, what problems you solve, what kind of outcomes you create will decide how well it will benefit both common masses and society because of the technology, as well as because the people who are doing it will get benefited because of that. You articulated very well that this is the world's largest experiment of working from home. And you rightfully said at this point in time, I mean, look at us. I mean, we we, we are having this conversation. You're sitting somewhere in Bangalore. I'm sitting in Bombay and we're having this conversation. And, and there'll be people sitting all around the world who could kind of like tune in, listen to it and kind of understand and take insights from this conversation and benefit and help them grow. So do you think there's a need for a... Uh, 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 a body to come in and kind of like raise awareness of the importance of technology and how it's impacting us. Oh, absolutely, and there are many bodies. So IT, where I where I work, is one of those bodies. There are multiple other bodies like that, which is focused on talking about how technology is impacting and changing our lives. So that is definitely uh, a role which has been played. But I think what is changing now is the way technology is like invading and all pervasive in everything that we do. So, I mean, I would invite you and everybody who is watching this uh, podcast to just think about what you have done from this morning. When you woke up, you might have switched on the light or you might have turned on the geezer, looked at your phone, you know, or switched on the AC or switched off an AC. You must have opened your computer, various things of things. And all this is essentially linked to technology. 
and it is linked to engineering and technology and engineers who have decided to solve a problem somewhere, sometime, which we are using now and making a life stretcher and making, making it work. And that is where technology has to be. Technology has to help society. Technology has to make living better. Technology has to improve the quality of life. And as soon as uh, people who work in this area understand that and bodies like the IIT make people understand that technology helps, I think it's a great way forward. The, there is no possibility of living life without technology as you go on. Right, completely with you. And, and you rightfully said, you know, the, the technology has to help society. I mean, it has to. But if you see, technology is a double-edged sword, right? I mean, you know, there are, I mean, it, it really depends upon who, uh, whose hand the technology it, it is in. You know, it, it's a double-edged sword. You know, if you go to see at this point in time, countries like China and Israel, in the guise of helping citizens, are using technology as a tool for pandemic surveillance, right? I mean, because at this point in time, yes, we definitely need technology and we need it for your tracking and tracing and, and treatment also. But if you see, there are so many countries who are using technology such as your your thermal-based uh, cameras to detect fevers. There are these tracking apps where uh, if, if somebody who's got uh, a COVID who, who's been quarantined, it, that, that, that trapping app will beep and send out signal if you kind of uh, even uh, uh, get out of the periphery of with your, uh, your, the area that you're confined to and things like that. So, so technology, yes, it's extremely powerful. But if, if you go to see today, your oil is no longer that big thing, right? I mean, it's falling down. What's going up is data or personal data, but a personal data is being hoarded by all these huge tech behemoths and they are manipulating our data and somehow we don't even know that our perceptions are changed because of the data that they have. You know, I mean, I mean, everybody knows about Cambridge Analytica and how the American election was manipulated with the help of data. So do you see pandemic surveillance that there, there needs to be a body which says, okay, we need the surveillance at this point of time because it's essential. The technology is helping us, but there should be a time limit to the pandemic surveillance because technology is, is, is definitely going to be, to be the next tool for evolution, but in the hands of somebody who who's, who's, who doesn't have the right intention, it could go extremely wrong. So what are your views on something like that? Yeah, so Eddie, very rightly put, see that the thing that we have to realize, it's just not technology. It's technology, wealth, power, any of these things put with the right intention works wonders and put in the wrong hands with the wrong intentions can create havoc, whether it's wealth, how you put your wealth to use, you can put it to your wealth, Use in a positive access and use wealth to be negative, even power for that matter. And similarly, technology by itself has power to do good. But in the hands of people who might want to have a self serving need, any point of time, not just now, in the past, in history, and probably in the future, technology will always have, can serve as a tool. So when Alfred Nobel invented dynamite, he did not think that dynamite is going to get used for destructive purposes. He, he invented it for, for, for the purpose of mining uh, and therefore which led him to create the Nobel Prize, which 
So it, in just one, his own lifetime, he showed us how invention, science, technology, and discovery can start with a certain intent, can go a completely different way, and the money which he earned from it can be used to further science using the Nobel Prize. So as, as I said, it's, we are human, it's human beings who are at the end of managing this, and who the human being is will depend. You all know Harari, right at the beginning of this pandemic, wrote a huge article on how the worry is that uh, this whole surveillance that is happening because of the pandemic could creep into our lives and become a tool in hands of government. Uh, I think while it, there is a chance like that, but I think uh, also at the same time, you know, the Cambridge Analytica thing happened much before the pandemic. Uh, we were already giving away our data to uh, everybody who wanted it in return of few few SOPs, which but the challenge is education. The challenge is people do not realize the, uh, the, uh, the importance of data. And the other challenge is, is that overlapping of uh, security and privacy. We seem to put bundle everything together. Security is a completely different thing. Privacy is a completely different thing. And both have to be treated separately. What has happened in the past and continues to happen is that we mix it both together. And in... And we assume that to be secure, it, it means privacy. In my mind, and I've been speaking about this for quite some time, is that over a period of time, how our data, which part of it is private and which part of it is not private, will start getting crystallized. At this point of time, we tend to say that only our name and uh, that's about it, is, which is public. Everything else is dependent on me telling people about my details, about whether, whether it's my age, where I live, what's my birthday, et cetera, et cetera, my bank details, et cetera. But over a period of time, people will realize that in return of getting something, for example, in return of getting security through the uh, Arogya Setu app, which is now being used in India, you will have to declare where you are located at that point of time because Arigisit does that. And that helps the society at large to make sure we are pandemic free. So the, the key is informed choices. So when I'm making informed choice of which part of my data to give away, which part of my privacy to give away in return for what, as long as that clarity is there, then I think we are all working in an informed world. But the challenge is the education around in informing people, getting people to understand the value of privacy, the difference between what can be given and what can't be given is something that needs to happen and is happening, but it will take time. Right. So, so exactly. So that's, again, I go back to my earlier when, when I was mentioning that, yes, the problem there, the challenge seems to lie in how we, we be little, you know, or, or data because, you know, it, it's not something tangible. So we don't put a price to it. But if you see, like, like I said, I mean, the, the value of oil is going down and the value of our data is going up because the world it is going to be the these big tech behemoths, behemoths are going to monetize our data and build a, a, a world where every every or uh, data is going to be the most valuable asset. And I and I wish and I hope that a technology like blockchain 
comes into play and gives the data, the power of data, I mean, back in our hand. I mean, at least we start owning our data rather than somebody else holding and manipulating your data. And you rightfully said that there's, there is there is no distinction between security and privacy. And I guess that is because there there is a lack of awareness. You know, if when we... We, there is an app which we see we don't go and read through the terms and agreements we just say yes and you know we don't even know that there are these apps which track each and every i mean not all of a movement but it's listening it knows where we are with the gps and things like that so yes i mean there needs to be a conversation where we we make the general audience understand the power of technology but because people don't really know that we are the cusp of the fourth industrial revolution you know people might think that you know these this is these are jargons but these jargons are going to come and impact or hit us exactly like how covid-19 has hit us because i somehow feel that this could be a double whammy what what i mean by double whammy is you know at this point of time you see that there's in america there's uh, more than 20 million people who have applied already applied for unemployment benefits you know because of the covid-19 there is uh, i think more than 20% at least in bombay who are immigrants and uh, uh, daily wage laborers right so these guys are living day by day and and the, the, there's going to be a whole lot of job losses also not just in india but all around the world right so the the second double whammy is automation which is creeping up slowly and and i don't think there is that conversation has been highlighted enough that we need to be aware about it so do you think that this social distancing this covid 19 could just push the conversation of exponential tech forward and there could be another wave of disruption coming which could be caused by automation so eddie it's very interesting that we are speaking about these things as you know in iit we run three think tanks uh, as part of our work one is focused around future of mobility and transport one is around future technologies and one is around future of work and we have talked about automation and the impact of automation for quite some time future technologies are, are the technologies which bring in automation and we keep talking about what's working what's workable what's not workable uh, and uh, similarly uh, future of work is focused around how automation will make work different fortunately for us covid-19 accelerated the process which might have taken another 3 or 4 years uh, to actually happen immediately technologies uh, and automation will come and has always come it is nothing new it is only the pace which is new so that's the only difference in the speed of automation so let me give an example since you are from bombay it will resonate with you at some point of time in the early late mid 60s or so early 60s mid mid 60s we saw the advent of mills in bombay so there were this large mills with machinery which replaced the people who were doing handloom work and suddenly automation of a different kind replaced a set of skilled workers and they had to adapt to this new kind of work similarly if you go back slightly back in history uh, the horse driven carriages got replaced by motor carriages so the kind of people who were working in horse driven carriages the drivers who were skilled at managing horses and Uh, managing them had to get skilled in managing the machines so that's the kind of changes that will always happen 
automation has always happened except we saw them happening at a pace which took took a generation now it's we are looking at multiple number of automation and changes and impact happening within the same generation itself and we have to react in the same way as we have reacted before we have to learn new skills we have to adapt to those new new technologies and start to work work on those new technologies and if if we become adamant that we will not change then i'm i'm sorry to say automation will overtake it so therefore the question of continuous learning and continuous self learning is becoming more and more important as we go along gone are the days when the organization will sit down and tell you what you need to learn what are the new skills you need you will have to look at yourself and figure out what are the skills what are the things that you need to learn how will you learn it what are the things will which will make you important to employers additionally what's what this whole situation that covid-19 has brought forward will do which is that organizations a lot of organizations are facing very huge financial difficulties at this point of time it might be getting get difficult for them to continue with the kind of workforces that they had so there will be we are already here you talked about unemployment we will hear that hear about that world over now how will the organizations in the future work the large part of their work which will which does not require somebody to be constantly in the office will be project and they will reach out to others who will do projects for them and so it's it's the gig worker gig economy which we have heard about in the past uh, to become becoming much and much robust than before and have will have more takers than they were before now what's the challenge with the gig workers the challenge with the gig workers for the future is that if they want to work in multiple projects which they have to they have to be adept at multiple skills and multiple specialization one deep specialization is not going to cut it anymore because your chances of revenue is going to go down so you need to have multiple deep specialization which means you are continuously learning learning new technologies learning new impacts learning new areas and skills and that you will have to lead up to by doing it self learning because no organization is going to invest that amount of time or uh, money into you so you the time to self invest on yourself to reskill and continuously upskill is very important in the future additionally universities and uh, places of higher learning my uh view is will undergo a huge shift in the way they are working right now currently they are focused on producing raw material for the industry uh fresh raw material i believe about 50 to 60% of their time in the near future or probably earlier will go in reworking on the current working force to make them ready for the industry because a large number of them don't have the skills which is required to work in the industry right now so a large portion of their time will be spent in reskilling existing workforce which means the professors and the people who are used to working with young students will have to get adapted to working with people who have had experience and had a depth of knowledge in terms of hard working and do not depend on theoretical knowledge as much as the students do so there is a whole domino effect of what this is going to create and everything will be underlaid by technology right and that is that is where and the importance of data 
will become more and more critical as we go along this path because the insights that data will give and analytics will give on this path will be critical in making sure that the outcomes are good. But the question of security and privacy will still remain. Hopefully we will resolve it faster than, uh, than the original plan. Right. I, I mean, very beautifully put. And, and yes, I mean, I think more than ever today, there's a need for people to understand that the old traditional ways of functioning is collapsing. The old traditional businesses are collapsing. This world demands you to learn, relearn, reinvent, rescale, upscale, change and, and that's the reason the podcast that's the reason this is a small effort to make people understand the importance of these technologies and the importance of changing oneself because if you change if you are rigid i don't think the, the future will leave you a space to uh, grow because the future i think demands people who who constantly relearn and you you spoke about the education system and and i think the education needs an upgrade because if you see there's this challenge or a competition or somebody who's 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 doing much, much better is the online education system. There are these things called MOOCs, Massive Open Online Courses. Yeah. Education is free. There's edX, there's Coursera, and there's so many which gives you free education. Education, And they are at least trying to teach people this, this wide field of what is really needed at this point in time you know like you write from your ar vr mr iot blockchain how to you know your, your computer science and so on and so forth or education system we, we still I, I do not mean to disregard our education system but yes i mean somewhere down the line i see the rote learning is 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 going down you know you have around 50 50 60 students hold up in a class and there's one teacher who says okay you follow this and the 50 50 students are just blindly looking at the the, the blackboard and are unaware about what the world is going on outside so i feel that there is so much of education or content which is available online it's just the desire and intent which is stopping because your uh, your traditional brick and mortar systems are getting more and more expensive they are burdening the parents with these huge uh, student loans while if you go to see anybody who's smart enough and who's listening who understands that there are these digital uh, education system which is giving you free education system so i believe what is only stopping is you is, is your desire and intent so you iit is also uh, working hard on uh, accessing the education system or making them aware about the change. What are uh, what are the engagements with them? And is this something which you are making the education? I'm sure that they are aware, but maybe just because they are so traditional and legacy driven, it, it takes time for them to change. Uh, is IIT taking a specific plan and talking to the education system and making them aware about this digital education or disruption which is coming through technology? Yeah, I think uh, you're right. The education system and the satraps of the education system are well aware that the change is coming. But they're entrenched in a system which is archaic. Uh, so, for example, if you look at our higher education, technical education system, we have what is called uh, affiliated university 
system, which means every state has got a technical university. Most of the colleges who are working in engineering are affiliated to that university, which decides the curriculum, which decides, which conducts the exams and gives away the degrees. The colleges teach, but it is all under the framework provided by the technical university. Now, unless the framework gets changed, individual colleges do not have the ability to make changes in their curriculum. So it is all centralized. Now that has been recognized. So AICT, which is the apex body of technical education in the country, is working on a plan which was to get all the colleges autonomous, technical colleges autonomous by 2022. All right. So moment that happens, I think it's moved. It was 2020, probably because of these things, it might move, move a little more. I'm not very sure about when the end date is. Either it's 2020 or 2022. But uh, the point is, the intent is to re re kind of remove this central framework, but give a guidance framework and allow the colleges to make the improvements that they can make in the way they do that. Currently, these colleges are bound by these rules, and even if they want to, they can't change. Uh, the private universities, on the other hand, uh, are doing, some of them are doing a remarkable job of making these changes. They are working with universities from across the world. IIT partners with a large number of colleges and universities, both in the uh, affiliated university sector as well as in the private university sector. And we work with them in, in terms of bringing them up the value chain uh, using the access that we provide. We have what is, what is called academic affiliate uh, program, where we work with universities in helping them uh, go towards the area that they want to uh, go forward. Uh, we provide them exposure to international and national experts. Uh, so essentially the idea is to take them out of the classroom and get them to see what exactly happens uh, when practicing engineers to speak with them. We also are among the top five technical, uh, we are among the top five uh, accreditors of engineering courses in the world under the Washington Accord. So we also provide the benchmarking around engineering programs by the accreditation that we do. Uh, uh, we have a huge number of student activities that we do. We have uh, our technical libraries, which they can access to. But, and our think tanks, which we have, which are built around technology, work, and mobility. And we call them Tech Work Move in short. That's our framework, Tech Work Move. Uh, that those experts from those actually work with these universities closely in helping them work, work forward, go forward. But at this point of time, the structure which they have is constructive. So, con so till that structure is removed, uh, it might take some time. But once that structure is removed, I'm sure everybody wants to move forward. The other thing which is, which is true about MOOCs that you talked about, uh, see, the two MOOCs you mentioned, one comes from Stanford, one comes from MIT, right? So uh, the thing that universities will have to figure out is currently the only thing that's not, it's not going for the MOOCs is employers are still not making a kind of looking at your MOOC uh, whatever you have done and decide that you are qualified. They still require a university degree for, for if they have got a certain level of qualifications, which is rapidly changing. And once that changes, once employers decide that if they are somebody doing a MOOC course 
uh, and coming versus somebody doing a university course is more or less the same depending on what course you've done. Then the question will be for students as to why should I pay so much money and go to a brick and mortar university when I can go and get it from the best universities and the best teachers in the world. So it's that particular uh, roadblock which is still stopping uh, the floodgate of MOOCs to open. And universities need to realize this, that unless they up their game, they will have a section and it will not happen immediately. So it will not happen that suddenly everybody will go to the MOOCs. But in a span of five years, they will suddenly realize that it will become unsustainable unless they start looking at upgrading themselves. Now, the larger, bigger universities will continue. You see, because there is one thing which the MOOCs can't offer, which is an alumni and a network connect. So if I go to a university like Harvard or a Stanford, the alumni and the network that I build up, I cannot get it on a digital platform. So if you are able to offer that kind of a network, then people will still pay a certain amount of big bucks and go there. But if you're, if you're not able to offer that kind of prestige or that kind of a network, and you're offering a course which is uh, like any other course, then what stops a student to go at, go into a MOOC, do it at the do it at a much cheaper price, from the convenience of their homes, and probably do two or three more courses alongside, while and get more out of it, then go to the, go to a university. Right, right. So, so uh, I mean, uh, Elon Musk was one of the guys who said that. Uh, I mean, when he's recruiting people, he's not looking at degrees. The startup community, which which I am also from. I mean, I have a virtual reality content startup. I am looking at talented people, young, talented, driven people. I am not looking at degrees. I'm just looking at what he or she can do. So I guess the world is changing over there faster yeah. than, I mean, we can fathom. And, and you said, uh, yes, what MOOCs cannot provide is alumni and network. But even that is changing. If you see, possibly COVID-19 could be that uh, natural disaster which could put push that conversation and make somebody who's uh, building virtual reality say, okay, can we build a educational platform, which we, which, which can anybody and everyone can access it from any part of the world. And not just talking about these metropolitan big cities, anybody sitting in the remote places could, could uh, access these VR itself because I'm just digressing, but there's this geo. Geo is looking at building VR headset and giving them for really cheap. Now, if Geo gets that, and maybe in another five or ten years, we have these cheap VR headsets, which could, which could make, which will be these wearable headset, which could converge your maybe your phone and a mobile into one single wearable device. You don't need your phones, you don't need your computers, and you and you and somebody who's doing education could feel, you know, use that uh, the virtual ed medium as a content. Maybe that could. In fact, I don't know whether you're aware or not, uh, there was about 10 years back uh, a new platform which was called Second World. Right, yes. So Second World, I thought, was always ahead of its time, which created a virtual Second World. You could have an avatar, you could do conferences there, you could do classrooms there, yes. and generally live life. You could have a party as well. Right. But Second World, I thought, was way ahead of its time. And probably at this point of time, something like Second World would probably work. Right, exactly. So, so yes, I mean, you know, uh, there, there, uh, people are right now looking at uh, technology 
to do you know remote meeting remote work remote education remote healthcare virtual reality is one of the technology which is already has all of those capabilities what is possibly uh maybe stopping that is the accessibility the knowledge of uh, the technology and the price point and yes some, yeah. some somewhere down the the capability is also offered because it it is in a nascent stage it has the potential to become like this exactly like the the, the glasses that i'm wearing where uh, like like in the movie that you seen uh, i'm forgetting the name it's a tom cruise movie where he, he's kind of uh, interacting with these digital objects uh, uh, yeah, yeah 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 i'm forgetting the name i'm not I uh, remember <laughs> It's got triple kind of forecasting. Who's going to get murdered? Uh, yeah, right. Right. Yeah, and 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 I'm not getting the name, but I think we are maximum ten years away from that world where a phone. No, but Eddie, I should tell you, I've seen these glasses. So these glasses are in prototype, and these glasses are a reality. So you can right now, yes, which has got a camera built into it, and it can. So these. these can be used support for a one very good use of that is in remote telemedicine so you can have a doctor sitting back uh, at 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 a city or his hospital or his clinic and you can have a paramedic who has got these glasses and the they can actually converse through the glasses or for example high risk uh, you know solar farms which are way out in the south so people who are doing technical work around solar farm the experts could help them from the vacant so these glasses are there available they are ar vr glasses and they have got ai built into it exactly. they learn as as they as they get used so once you tell them and show them something and then it automatically learns uh, that what it is and identifies it identifies it the next time right right so there is the magic leap is there microsoft hololens is there facebook oculus is there nreal is there and so many of these glasses there the price points are a little expensive i guess that's the only no, no, but you're talking yeah. about the big companies i am right. talking this is from a startup right yes startups are doing disrupting the business as well so it is not always necessary that the big companies will bring out these things you never know it might come out of a startup from india Yes, so in fact, I firmly believe that the next wave of disruptions are going to be brought in by the startups because they are the ones who are agile. They don't have to go that hundred level of uh, checking whether whether I should do this or not. And you know that there's it's just these four ten people team, and they they are the ones who are disrupting for tomorrow. Right. So can you just tell my audience about IIT the the end? What are you doing to support your engineering and community during this COVID period? So IET uh, or the Institution of Engineering and Technology is a professional society for engineers, and we are very glad to say and happy to say that we have celebrating uh, our 150th year of existence, starting from October this year. Wow! Congratulations. So we've been around for some time. Uh, we started off as a society of telegraphic engineers, and it's a very interesting story when. trains railway railway trains came to uk and i sh- should have mentioned we are headquartered out of the uk uh, the iit i look after their south asia uh, territory uh, when the railway first came to the uk there was a new breed of technologists who came in who essentially managed the signaling and the wireless so when trains moved from one station to other you know there was this message which was sent it's left the station it's reaching there or if there's a breakdown and all this so new technology of wireless and signaling came in but this was not taught in universities so therefore there were no courses available so it was on the job learning 
and learning from each other. And out of that came the Society of Telegraphic Engineers, which essentially was developed to learn from each other while practicing. And over a period of the next 15 years, it became the Institution of Electrical Engineers. And so became the IEEE, which it remained till 2006, uh, when it became a multidisciplinary institution and became the Institution of Engineering and Technology. It's Europe's largest institution, and it's among the world's, uh, among, counted among the world's largest. We are also the world's oldest living institution of engineers at this point in time. And uh, our work is divided into essentially three or four parts. Our one area is focused on making engineering and the study of engineering and the practice of engineering better and better. Uh, the other is to bring engineers together to solve the problems that world, the, the society and the world has. So our mission is to engineer a better world. And uh, engineers are notoriously shy about talking about what they do for the world. You see, if you look at a doctor, saves lives, we look at them with huge respect, they are, have a special position in the society. But as I spoke uh, right at the beginning of this conversation, that if you look back as to what you have done from this morning till now, you will realize that if an engineer had not solved, decided to solve a problem, uh, we wouldn't be doing all these things, including the way our lives are saved by doctors. So engineers play an incredibly important role in society, but they're very shy at talking about it. So we want to give a platform which allows engineers, more and more engineers to come together to solve this challenge. Uh, in India, uh, we have about 170 odd thousand members spread across the world in 127 countries. Uh, in India, we have about 40,000 members uh, who are essentially engineers, who are practicing engineers, academicians, students, etc. Uh, we in India, we are divided into two basic pillars, uh, but it's at the base of it is the problem that we want to solve. We want to make the Indian engineers a force to reckon with across the world. Our challenge has always been that we produce probably the world's largest number of engineers. But when we compare them with uh, the, their quality with engineers across the world, sometimes they fall short. So our objective is to try to help and resolve that problem as much as possible. So the IIT has one arm which is focused on the engineering education piece. So we, as I told, we work with universities in terms of the affiliates and bringing them up the value chain. Then we also have our accreditation program, which is the benchmarking program that we have for universities. And on the other hand, we want to view, once these engineers are out in the workplace, then we want to hone their skills, use their skills to impact society and make it a better place. So we have got these three think tanks. We used to run till uh, last month what is called the IoT India panel, which was the India's largest Internet of Things uh, think tank. We also uh, own and ran the IoT India Congress for four editions. And now that panel has become the in, uh, IoT Future Tech Technologies panel. And we also have got a focus around future of mobility and transport, and finally future of work. The idea is that we want to pick up those areas which has got significant impact on India's growth as a country. And we believe all these three areas have a significant play in how India grows and goes forward. 
Uh, we also uh, do a lot of advisory for the government. We uh, give them, uh, we, we are the bridge which brings industry, academia, and the government together. We work with students. Uh, we are working on trying to help uh, the partners that we have to resolve the education and the skills challenge as well. So overall, as I said, the crux of it is how do you make Indian engineers a force to reckon with in the world is what our aim in India has been. Yeah, yeah. So, so yes, I mean, yes, you said the engineers are notoriously shy. And, and like you said, I mean, yes, everything that we do have some part of a role that that they have played. And that's the reason, you know, which our life becomes beautiful. And, and yes, going forward, like, uh, I mean, I believe that humans are going to be augmented with technology you know so 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 you spoke about i mean that you building these these ips your iot india panel night iot uh, india congress so what exactly is the vision behind it and how do you plan to take that forward see these are all very big areas which has got huge impact in india on india's india's growth as i said before so one of the things that we aim to do is provide a neutral platform which does not have any kind of bias towards anything and have, has the ability to say things as it is and cut through the clutter. And we do that by bringing people who are in this, who are practicing in these fields on the on a new platform. We are able to bring people competing against each other bitterly in the commercial world. But we are able to bring them together on our platform to collaborate together and create roadmaps which are which are workable. So if you just go through our uh, website, you will find that actually rivals, business rivals, are sitting across the table on on our platforms and creating outputs which is useful for society at large. We produce a significantly large number of uh, white papers, uh, events, lectures, uh, as well as uh, advisories reports, et cetera, et cetera. This is all available uh, at this point of time free for anybody who wants to download it. They can just go to our website and download it. Uh, we focus areas which are not spoken about or which has got impact, but is not spoken about as much. So these are the things that uh, they're doing. And the idea is that to, uh, these platforms create sustainable roadmaps, uh, create a conversation around it. For example, we started talking about future work about a year back. Uh, what has also been our hallmark is that we have always uh, hit it slightly ahead of the curve. So we started talking about the IoT in 2014, when uh, people were still trying to understand what IoT was. In fact, I remember somebody came and asked me, uh, what do you mean by IoT? Why are we talking about Indian overseas trade in a technical <laughs> body? As, so we realized that, yeah. And then we started talking about future of work in 2018, when when people were still kind of uh, it was still an unknown concept and we had predicted this whole work from home thing and how gig economy will work and how multiple things so these are the things that we try to do essentially create a conversation get people involved make it neutral so that everybody get involved and so that it impacts both the industry as well as the country uh, and its growth is I, IET building any solutions uh, to fight against COVID? And what do you think, and what in your ways do you think we should uh, uh, look at the future? What do you think we can do to come back to normalcy? Right. 
so i'll answer the first part for uh, right, right, the right. first question, part of the question uh, so the it is per, in itself is not it's a body of society so it doesn't build anything Right. But what we have done is we have got together a, uh, our healthcare working group from the IoT panel and a few of our uh, people from the mobility panel to come together and create a, a framework uh, under which uh, mobility uh, solutions can be used for COVID, rapid COVID testing. So we have now got a complete uh, detailed framework in, under which buses can be created using all the healthcare parameters as well as the mobility parameters to make sure they're safe testing and quarantining happening. That is getting released soon in the next, probably this week or early next week that will get released. And that can serve as a template for anybody who is deciding to use the uh, use these mobility solutions for buses. The second thing that we are doing, I think, which is which to me is closer to my heart, and it is linked to your next question, which is said, how do we come back to normalcy? I think there the normalcy as we knew is gone. So it is, as a lot of people keep saying, it's a new normal. The challenge we as humans have is that our references are all from the past. So we, uh, we find uh, it to be safer or more secure to link it to something that we had in the past and therefore put a, put a framework around it. Unfortunately, whatever is happening now and whatever will happen in the future has not happened in the past. So therefore, the whole framework and the paradigm has changed. Now, what IIT is currently doing, and we are doing it right now, is we, are, we have launched one of the largest studies. And we are doing in individual conversation and group conversations with a large number of people across industry, across uh, uh, various levels, whether they are students, whether they are early workers, senior people, academicians, startups, individual gig workers, to understand what their biggest challenges are that they envision from COVID-19. Now, the thought behind this is that what since this is not something that we know, we want to take out the expert bias out of it. Because the, even the experts are using references from the past. So the idea is to talk to as many people as possible get their references, get their insights, and possibly use an AI and kind of find the dots which are connecting these thoughts to bring out some predictions where the future is going. It is also to give uh, an insight into the biggest insecurities people are facing right now, which will become a huge data source for decision makers in the immediate future as to how they decide. Because however, whatever we say at the end of it all of us will have to work with people and we have to understand this new set of people and what is driving them in the future and we are using a large amount of big data analytics technology ai to resolve this and the outcome would be how the future of engineering and the future of people in engineering will be in the post-covid world so that's a report uh, that we are planning to publish most probably in the next 20 days or so, we're currently doing this research, we're talking to a large number of people, and we think that would be a great insight and a great tool for people to use in the future. Right, right. Uh, so thank you. Thank you, Shekhar, for being part of the Change Impossible podcast. I remain 
very hopeful because i mean there are there are definitely been negatives you know there's been loss of life i mean not just in india but all around the world but somehow if you see there's never been event like this you know we have all come together if we take past as a reference i mean you know in 1918 we, we had the, the play but if you see uh, at this point there's not been a time in human history where everybody's come together you know right from the technologists to big companies to doctors frontline workers and trying to solve problems you know we already have around close to 50 or plus clinical trials or vaccines going on because there's so many people who are coming together and 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 now we know that we are all in it together and i'm sure i i, I feel that the human race is extremely resilient and i think there's nothing that we can overcome so i remain hopeful and i remain positive and i i i i would like to believe that this could be that minor roadblock uh, roadblock in in human history which ha- has come for a reason for us to re- be aware and respect our earth because if you just see i mean uh, you know at this point of time you know there is so much positives that's come out of covid-19 you know there's been oh, yeah. more human relationships people are confined in their homes so i'm spending more time with my son I, i'm uh, looking out at the sky which is looking so nice i can hear the birds chirping there's no honking so so there are lots of positives like ganga river there was there was fish and, and there's lots of positive besides the negative so i personally remain hopeful and i feel that you know i mean the, we we more than ever we need to come together uh, and make this world better and and realize that you know the earth also needs to breathe so maybe we can we, we should do this on a regular basis what i mean by this maybe we could do this uh, like at least 15 days off we should all take an off be on a lockdown so we let the earth breathe and 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 we we can all come together and and let's grow this planet and and educate ourselves through these platform help each other and grow rather than you know these big tech behemoths owning everything you know it's 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 about the future is going to be decentralized it's got to be democratized you know and the power needs to come back into our hand so in in that note chukar really appreciate you giving time and and sharing your insights and to my listeners if you like what you see and here please press the subscribe button and like always i'm going to leave behind all the details of mr shaker down below so that we, you know we can get in touch with each other and build a world with meaningful relationships you know help each other and rather than just you know working in silos you know because the future demands us to come together so thank you shaker really appreciate for being part of change our possible podcast and thank you bye bye Thank you so much Eddie thank you very much it was a pleasure